You are listening to the EdTech Takeout from Grantwood AEA, an educational service agency that supports school districts in eastern Iowa with a focus on equity, excellence, and efficiency in education for all children. Welcome to episode 42 of the EdTech Takeout, the podcast that serves up bite-sized technology tips for teachers. My name is Jonathan Wiley, and this is Mindy Carney. Hello. Hello, Mindy. Big show today. It is a big show today. Yeah, we got lots to talk about. You know, yeah, I, I was driving my kids to school the other day, and mm-hmm. I wish I had this um, recorded, but I couldn't because I was driving. But and my, your inner voice, yes, yeah, so <laughs> record my, your inner voice. No, but what? I wish I could record my kids because my oh. two kids were in the back seat, and yeah. and my daughter was saying, "Hello, welcome to the Tech Takeout," oh, and all this kind of thing, and I'm like, "Oh, is that what we sound like?" Ah, oh, jeez, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder. Yeah. Well. Let's just move on to uh, the news and follow <laughs> yes. up and ignore that whole concept. Um, okay, so this is kind of maybe older news, but I just mentioned it to someone the other day and they had not heard it yet, and that's about Padlet. Yeah, Padlet's made some changes. Oh, and okay, so the news about Padlet is that they have gone down to, if you're just signing up with Padlet now and have not created a, an account, but are becoming a new user, you only get three Padlets for free. Yeah. And it used to be that you got, I think, endless amount. Do you think? As far as I know, yeah. yeah. Right. So if you are a current user of Padlet, they came up with some sort of formula, right, about how many Padlets you get. So everybody's number is different. So Mm. um, it depended on how many Padlets you already had, how many you had created in the last three months, and then they put those two together, and that's how many Padlets you get. So my number's 31. What's your number? Do you remember? I don't remember. I think it was like 32 or something. No. Oh, of course, because it was bigger than mine. I think it was. I yeah. don't think so. But the, the long and short of this <laughs> is there, there's now, an, is it $99 a year? Yes. For a teacher yes. plan to use Padlet. Yeah. Yes. And that's crazy. Well, it's um, obviously something they're thinking they need to do in order right. to keep the lights on. But right. um, it seems to be a price point that a lot of people have balked at a little bit. Yeah. Well, in... And I think you said this, too, is that, well, you know, didn't you know it was coming? Because they've made just, like, all of these enormous, awesome changes to Padlet probably in the last six months, right? Yeah, definitely. um, And so I guess maybe we should have seen it coming. Yeah, well, we'll keep an eye on it and see where this goes. But, um, yeah, just a heads up, if you are working with teachers or you yourself are on Padlet and you're like, wait, what do you mean I can't create any more Padlet boards and... That's why. So yep. you either go back and delete some of your old ones. Yep. Or uh, you just manage. Just clean with... off your old ones. Yeah. I wouldn't. I like if it were me, I would go in and make as many padlets as they'll let you make. Yeah. And just keep them blank or whatever because I. Keep deleting the posts. I'm, I'm just interested to see if like it, that number is going to continue to come down yet. All right. Okay. On to some happier news. Um, I'm going to mention the new Adobe Spark for okay. education that came out. And uh, Adobe released. A press release on this, I don't know, maybe a couple months ago, saying that it was coming, and now it's here, and it basically means that uh, educators now have um, the ability to set up an Adobe Spark for Education deployment where your kids can log in with their Google accounts or their Microsoft accounts or a number of different other accounts in order to use Adobe Spark for Education, and they can do so on be and be compliant with uh, COPPA and all those regulations. So your elementary students can have their own accounts. They don't have to share a teacher mm-hmm. account anymore, which is very nice. Yeah. 
They also get access to some premium features, like you can remove the Adobe Spark watermark, you get a whole bunch of extra branding and images you have access to. So this is all 100% free <laughs> and uh, <laughs> just needs you to set up a couple of things with Adobe. So if you already have a Creative Cloud uh, suite with Adobe, then you already have an Adobe dashboard that you can get into and deploy this. It has to be done at the IT level. It's not something you can do as a teacher. Oh, really? Correct. Oh. But um, otherwise, if you don't have Creative Cloud, you can still set up this Adobe dashboard uh, in the cloud free and uh, add your users and deploy that out so that you can use Adobe Spark Post, Adobe Spark Page, and Adobe Spark Video. I sometimes forget the names I of know, those things. I know, I do too. Yes. They've changed a couple of times, that's why. Yes. Yes. So there you go. Free Good. Adobe Spark for education for everyone. For everyone. All right, well, I feel like I'm a downer today because um, I'm also announcing that the goo.gl goal URL shortener is, well, it's it's dead now. We should just do good cop, bad cop. You do the bad ones, now do the good ones. I would be a good, great bad cop. Yeah. I'd be a good bad cop. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, I don't know that this is like awful for lots of people, the the place that I'm going to miss it the most, like if I'm sharing stuff on Twitter, because those URLs were always kind of crazy anyway, because like letters, numbers, capitals, it was hard for people, I think, sometimes to, in a presentation, to look up there and be like, oh, capital S, yes, three, definitely. seven. Um, but I used it a lot when I was sharing stuff on Twitter, so I'm going to definitely miss that. But they're still good if you've used it in the past. The links are good and the they'll still, still redirect. Yeah. Didn't, was it you that asked about the QR codes as no, well? No, that was Amber. But the QR codes should also redirect, I think, because they're just a URL. Okay. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. So no more goo.gl, but there's right. other things. What would you recommend people use instead, Mindy? Um, I use tinyurl or Bitly. Yeah. Either one, which is nice because you can personalize them if you want to, but sometimes it's just hard to find. Yes. A personalized URL that works. Um, but it will still generate like that weird, you know, kind of like the url shortener did the alphanumeric yeah, code at the you. end yes. yes yeah it'll create a generic one for you all right then okay. on to the good news side of the table today and uh there is a facelift coming for gmail yeah. and i think we've talked about this in the past when yeah. we did our inbox challenge about which we're still yes we're still in we're inbox. still inboxers we're still there I, I switched over to gmail the other day to yeah. get something or find yeah. something that i couldn't get in inbox and yeah. i I was really shocked yeah, it's by so how ugly, now. ugly that looks. <laughs> I know. So, um, yeah, it's not had a much in the design um, department for a little while now, Gmail. But mm-hmm. um, Google came out with this kind of preemptive press release that said, coming soon, a yep. new design for Gmail. And they didn't tell us really what that would look like or anything. But right. there have been a bunch of leaked screenshots and things that we can link to in the show notes if you're interested. Yeah. And it just looks a little bit cleaner, a little yeah. bit nicer. It's taking some of the features from Inbox, like snoozed Which emails. Which I love. That's my favorite part of Inbox. Is it? Yeah. Okay. I'm, I, I forget it's there sometimes, but I, no. I do use it now and again. Yeah. Um, there might be um, something that's rumored to be like a confidentiality mode. I where this idea. This is kind of Mission Impossible style where mm-hmm. you could set an email to self-destruct after a certain amount of time so that um, it's So I can tell you what I really think. Yeah, tell then, us what you really think, Mindy. And then it's going to blow up. <laughs> and then make it expire <laughs> yeah, in 10 right. minutes. Yeah, Yeah, and then I'll screenshot it and yeah. then send it to HR. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, yeah. So keep an eye out for that. It is coming to the early adopter program in G Suite for Education and G Suite for Business. So it's uh, maybe it's already here by the time you heard yeah, this podcast. right, maybe. Yeah, check it out. 
All right. Well, I have one more gripe. Okay. <laughs> so um, have you noticed that Tables has dis- – well, not disappeared, but now it's hidden in Docs? So it used to just be a button kind of up in your um, toolbar, and now you have to go into Insert and then Tables. Slowing me down, man. Don't slow down my workflow. No, I did not notice that. So I'm bringing up the Google Doc here of our show notes. Uh, Oh, yeah, it used to be Table on the top, didn't it? And now it's Insert. Well, I guess it makes sense under the Insert menu because that's where you insert stuff. No, it doesn't because now I have to click on make three clicks instead of just one. And then if I need to edit my table, I have to go back in because Table is no longer a dropdown. Okay, so here's my question for you. Maybe this will mess with your mind. No. Was it always in insert as well, and they just took away the table thing? I have no idea. I, I have no idea. I don't maybe know Maybe it was. I don't know. Yeah. So. But there's one other thing that's changed with Docs too, right? And you're super excited about this, although I don't think it's that big of a deal, and that now Highlighter has a button. Well, yeah. Which I, is not an even exchange. Highlighter button and tables. But it's not like they took no. tables away. No, they hit it. They didn't. They didn't just create highlighter. They hit it under the menu where, if you want to add something to your document, then you—that's where you go. Whatever, Google. Whatever. <sighs> okay. Yeah, they did add the highlighter button, which is we shall uprise. <laughs> the highlighter button has annoyed me in the past because whenever I've gone to change my text color for some random I reason, know, right? I've highlighted the text instead, and it's like done. Yeah. Or the other way around, I've yeah, gone to ch- highlight okay. some text and change the color of the font. But So now they broke that up, and that has helped me out, I think. Well, as long as you're satisfied, then I guess that's all that matters. Well, Google gives, Google taketh away. <sighs> Whatevs. Google. All right, so on to our main course. We have a very special guest today. Uh, Dr. Ryan Weiss is joining us. He's the director of the Iowa Department of Education. Um, Dr. Weiss, is there, do you have a, tell us a little bit about your background or how you became the Iowa Director of Education? Sure. Well, first, thanks so much for having me on your podcast today. I really appreciate this opportunity and look forward to the conversation. Um, so I have this is my third year as director of the Iowa Department of Education, uh, and I've actually been at the department now for almost six years. Um, I came here initially uh, as part of a 10-month residency, uh, completing my doctoral program at Harvard, uh, and ended up just staying. Uh, love Iowa, love Des Moines. Uh, I have two young sons who are in third grade and sixth grade. Uh, They attend Des Moines Public Schools. Uh, I'm a South Dakota native, um, so Iowa is just a great natural fit for my family. Um, I started my career as a high school history teacher, uh, taught for five years, uh, worked um, on the Rosebud and Pine Ridge reservations. I started Teach for America there and worked there for for several years and worked internationally for a few years as well. But uh, I'm, I'm happy and, and proud to be an Iowan now. We're happy to have you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was actually uh, looking on your Twitter account the other day, so sorry for the Twitter stalking, but uh, <laughs> you have this great tweet pinned to your profile that says, uh, first grade son, intro for me. This is my dad, Mr. Ryan Wise. He's the director of education. He visits classrooms and does stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I pinned that it, because it's really accurate, right? I think that's yeah. a 
uh, uh, the best introduction I've ever had. So, <laughs> I'm just appropriate. And I think that's one of the things I I really uh, ad- admire about the role that you have is that you do make a lot of visits out to school districts, and you're you're really very visible in terms of you know getting out there and seeing what's going on. So, what kind of things are you seeing or or hearing lately that's that's helping shape your ideas about uh, education policy in Iowa? Well, I I just think it's critically important that I'm in schools, you know, every week, uh, as uh, whenever that's possible. Um, by the end of the year, I'll have visited over 150 uh, school districts in wow. Iowa. Wow! Um, and you know, there there are a lot of commonalities, but every school has its own story to tell. And so, when I'm in schools, I'm looking at a few things. You know, first I start off looking at the big statewide initiatives, things like our focus on early literacy, um, the implementation of our teacher leadership system, or TLC, um, our efforts to strengthen career and technical education across Iowa, um, you know, it, efforts to improve work-based learning and hands-on real-world experiences, and things that I know every district in, in Iowa uh, are focused on and that we're trying to play a leadership role in as the state. Um, and then, I, you know, I'm always interested in hearing what are the unique things that are happening in districts? And, uh, you know, what are both the opportunities and challenges schools are facing? And how can we at the Department of Education be a partner to schools in, in those efforts? Um, and so, you know, just last week I was down in Southeast Iowa on, on Friday and was in Central Lee Community School District. And, you know, over a third of their kids in the high school are in agricultural programs. And they are hands-on, completely modernized approaches to, to agriculture. And to see, you know, what they're doing and what that looks like um, in, in Central Lee, uh, you know, is, is really, really interesting. And then in Keokuk, some of the work they were doing around providing hands-on, community-based opportunities for kids. And so I think seeing those examples and where districts are really pushing um, is helpful for me, when I'm out in other districts and, and can cross-pollinate ideas and say, hey, that's great. I'm seeing something similar in X district. Um, you know, when I was in Keokuk, I gave an example of Edgewood Colesburg that is, you know, I think would be a really nice supplement to what they're doing. So the teacher there was reaching out to the teacher in, in Edco to say, okay, how do, we, how do we add that? So I think those are, you know, the general approaches I'm taking when I'm in schools. Great. Yeah, um, it's really great to build those relationships. We try and build those relationships within our agency area, but you being able to do that statewide is a whole different kind of layer to it. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's great, you know, and that's the AEA system is vitally important to this effort. And I know, particularly in the context of teacher leadership, the AEAs have been um, truly visionary and have played a connective role in that. And then I try and amplify it by doing it statewide as well, just as you, you said, Cindy. Yeah, so the teacher leadership system is obviously a huge deal in Iowa, and I can't express how pleased everyone is that that um, leadership position exists. So um, what pleases you the most about the implementation of that program? What, what are the biggest successes that you've seen, or um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, you know, Teacher leadership is why I initially came to Iowa. That was the subject of my, my residency, was facilitating the initial task force that came up with the recommendations. 
So to see that over the past six years grow from just an initial idea of, hey, we think this would be good, to full implementation in every school in Iowa has been really exciting. Um, what to me right now is most meaningful about this is just the cultural transformation in teaching that TLC has created in Iowa, particularly as it relates to the quality and frequency of collaboration and the impact of professional learning or professional development on teacher practice. Um, I think back to when I was teaching, I taught at a very large high school in, in Omaha, Nebraska, and there were 19 of us in the social studies department alone, one leadership position. And yeah. it was the department chair and it consisted of textbook adoption and scheduling subs. Right. That's, that's, that's not really you know, <laughs> true, true leadership. And our team meetings were just a quick run through of announcements and head on with your day. And professional development, we had as teachers no role in shaping that. Well, I looked at Iowa now in 2018 and it is an entirely different universe, right? I mean, teachers have an active role in shaping what professional learning looks like. Collaboration is the norm. You know, I don't walk into schools where teachers just shut their doors and don't collaborate like that just it, it doesn't happen anymore it's a new way of of doing business in in iowa schools and i think long term um that's going to put us on the path to be uh to, to lead the nation again in terms of student outcomes and, and student learning awesome yeah and i think you know one of the other things that has been really um prevalent or coming up a lot, especially in the work that Mindy and I do, because we, we work with schools to help them integrate technology more in the classroom. But I was working on this um, digital learning plan and thinking about how we can more effectively and use and see the impact of technology in the classroom. So could you maybe talk more about how that's going and what that process looks like? Yeah, so I'd say a couple of things. You know, the technology integration has been a really exciting um, subcomponent of TLC in a lot of places because I think in Iowa, um, you know, there's just been a lot of organic from the ground up adoption of technology. And, you know, you see in so many places, the one-to-one -one initiatives, yeah. uh, really trying to get uh, good high quality technology in the hands of students and teachers. And what I experienced when I first came to Iowa is that I think the access to technology probably outran the pedagogy, the teaching skills behind sure. implementing that technology. And I think the teacher leadership system has allowed teaching to catch up to technology. And I think the way TLC was designed in Iowa to empower districts to craft the leadership roles that met their local needs have allowed districts that maybe felt in that situation that you know, they had great technology, but maybe teachers weren't maximizing the use of it, has allowed them to take their early adopters, put them in leadership roles, and really more effectively integrate technology into, into instruction. And so that's been really exciting to see, you know, the ownership districts have, take, have, have taken over uh, technology integration and really integrated that with teacher leadership. And to me, regardless of what we're talking about, if it's teacher leadership or technology or early literacy, you know, we need to see all of these as parts of a whole. 
as aligned and integrated and not, okay, you know, there's folks over here that are talking about literacy and folks over here that are thinking about teacher leadership. It's how do we bring all of this together um, so that they're not separate initiatives, but that we're really leveraging teacher leadership um, uh, on implementation of all of these really important things. Um, and then you mentioned, Jonathan, an important point around the digital literacy plan. You know, we, we've had uh, our digital learning plan. There's a national digital learning plan. And now there's some really great work happening across the state, um, led by the, the AEAs and in partnership with the department and school districts around creating a state digital learning plan. And I think this is going to be, you know, it's going to be rolling out in the, the, the weeks and months ahead really talking about, you know, what is what is high quality um, uh, digital learning look like and how do we integrate that in an Iowa context? So they're really taking the national digital learning plan framework and peppering it with really great examples from Iowa um, that we can use to, to chart a path forward. So um, we have obviously read the National um, Digital Learning Plan because of our positions, but maybe um, teachers, that's not something that they've looked at before just because, you know, it might not be something that they have time for. They might be more likely, obviously, to read the Iowa Digital Learning Plan. What are some things they should look for or what should they um, kind of put their focus of learning on when they're reading it through themselves? Yeah. Well, you know, again, I think to me it comes comes down to how uh, how does digital learning and how does all of this um, fit together and ensure that digital learning is fully integrated into how schools educate students? Because I think it can really um, work to strengthen the efforts districts have been doing to improve early literacy, expand high quality career and technical education offerings leverage teacher leadership. Um, so I, I think, you know, teachers should um, read that with an eye toward, you know, how does digital learning enhance all of the other things that are that are happening in schools? And then look to the examples that once it gets to the state plan, you know, look to the examples of um, what are other districts doing and how can you leverage partnerships, uh, for example, with the AEAs uh, to enhance work that's happening locally. Yeah, and that's definitely a, a challenge that we we have when we're going into schools or even working with some of our AEA staff here is that people have traditionally thought technology is like a separate thing. It's, you know, you guys are the tech guys and mm -hmm. so you guys can do this. But what we try and, and reinforce as much as we can is that, you know, technology is just part of good teaching and that when you're teaching good stuff and good content you're choosing appropriate moments and when to use technology and when to enhance things with technology mm -hmm. and also when not to use technology I guess right. too. Well and I think the examples are so nice because so often people hear us talk about the big picture and we talk all flowery about it and we're you know overly optimistic but actually letting them see um, snapshots of what that actually looks like um, is very beneficial to people too. Absolutely. And, and I'll say, you know, in addition to that, another thing that I hear a lot about when I'm out in schools, uh, and there are some great examples of this, but it's a movement around how do we personalize education and mm. allow students greater ownership and, and voice in this. And I think digital learning um, can be a, a, a tool for doing that as well and can be a, a, a pathway for that. So I think that that personalization approach 
having really good examples and bringing it down to a real tangible level um, with, with clear illustrations, as you said, Mindy, that, that makes it make sense for teachers and, and they can think about, oh, you know, th this would be an opportunity for me to, to do this. And, and maybe these are examples where I would, you know, not want to uh, uh, use it in that way. So um, to change the subject just a smidge, um, as we've kind of been talking about the digital learning plan with schools, obviously the computer science initiative has come up. And um, I think there's still a lot of questions around what that's going to look like or what we should expect in the future. Can you give us the down, down low about what's going on with the computer science initiative? Well, I will say I'm, I'm really excited about the state's growing emphasis on computer science. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a convert to this issue. As I said, you know, I'm a social studies teacher by background. Um, but now with, you know, kids of my own and being out in schools and seeing, you know, how, how kids just are absorbed by uh, these opportunities to do coding and coding games and to see what they can create using this language is is really exciting and you know i also get to talk a, a, a frequently with folks in business and industry and you know speaking with the governor um you know she really sees computer science and coding as a new basic skill and i would agree with that i think it's foundational um for our students to have at least um introductory and, and beginning and working knowledge of computer science um, is, is, grows more important every day. Um, and so the computer science initiative is focused on a few things. Um, first, it's around setting high quality, clear standards uh, for computer science education. Because I think when we say computer science, Folks have, you know, a, a continuum in their mind and, and some are thinking, oh, computer science, or well, are you talking about, you know, word processing and typing? And, uh, sure. you know, yeah. uh, but sometimes computer, you know, they latch onto that part first and think kind of basic operational all the way up to, you know, full on programming and very specific uh, languages. And so we're trying to define uh, we have a statewide working group that right now has computer science standards out for feedback. Um, they've used the CSTA uh, framework as their uh, as their kind of opening document, um, but they will refine those, Iowanize them, uh, make sure what Iowans believe are most important for computer science standards get in that document. Uh, and the goal is to have those standards in front of the state board for approval in June. And so uh, there, there's a lot of great work, work happening on that, uh, on that front. Um, I'm also uh, cautiously optimistic that the legislature this year will fund the Computer Science Professional Development Incentive Fund. And I believe that uh, fund is critical uh, in growing the computer science teaching workforce in Iowa. We're going to need to train and support uh, many, many more teachers uh, to ensure they have the knowledge and skills necessary to prepare our students um, for, you know, the, the computer science jobs that are that are ahead. And so uh, if that's funded, that will allow districts to essentially apply for funds to enable teachers to attain certification in uh, a computer science endorsement or to take on professional development um, in computer science. 
And so, I, you know, I think that is a really, really important piece of the puzzle. And then finally, you know, I think at the, the local level, um, the more districts can do to create opportunities at elementary, middle, and high school uh, for students to, to have exposure to computer science is, is really important. So starting with the youngest grades, um, uh, giving them initial opportunities, getting a little bit deeper in middle school, and then having really robust computer science uh, offerings in high school is a critical piece of this as well. Yeah, I think that that continuum part is hard because, you know, we'll see a lot of um, schools doing, you know, elementary coding with drag and drop blocks. But sometimes there's like a, a little bit of a gap or a chasm with like, OK, so what's what's after that? And, you know, what is the program in place for doing that sort of thing? So I think that will really help teachers. And I'm going to put you onto the spot a little bit. Is there a school district out there that you're seeing that's done a really great job that we should kind of keep our eye on? You know, if you look at Sioux City. Okay. Um, they have uh, they have an elementary school. Um, I believe it's Les Hills Elementary in Sioux City that is coding focused at at the elementary level um, and is really exciting. They try and integrate it at each of the grade levels in, in, in the elementary school, and that that's one that comes um, very quickly to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, Iowa City is doing some really interesting things. Um, um, there's a, a teacher there uh, that is is doing just some great work at the middle school level who's on our computer science work group, um, uh, Bennett Brown. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of, of some standout ones at the, the high school level. Um, but there's, you know, high school, I think there's lots that are offering either Project Lead the Way or AP Principles of Computer Science um, and, and that are just doing really uh, interesting things with their with their students. So um, the coding thing brings up kind of a twist in events. We had a student that had a question for you. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. So her name is Kaylee, and she's from Benton. And her question is this: What do kids need to do to make sure adults know how important maker spaces are? Because kids know, but how do we make sure adults know? And I thought that kind of tied in nicely with the coding aspect. Yeah, I, that's, you know, that's a really great question. And, and I think educators are starting to think more about student voice in general. So how do we give students the opportunity to have meaningful input into their own learning? And to me, you know, I, I think Makerspace is one good example Um but it's, you know, it's how are we thinking about um, personalizing learning for, for students so that they have the, the opportunity to say, okay, here's where I want to go with this. And then I need the space, the resources, the opportunities to make that happen. Um, and so I think, you know, the, the more students can advocate for themselves and, and I would say to this student in particular, you know, get your friends together and yeah. all together. I mean, there's, you know, uh, uh, truth to the saying, there's power in numbers, right? And so um, I, you know, I think that's really exciting that she's asking this question. And I think if she can kind of build a little movement around it, that's that's how things get, uh, that's how things get started. I was trying to think of where I was. I think I was in Fort Madison last year and the students got together and it was a student-driven project to create a makerspace in their library. And it was, it was awesome um, and entirely student generated and student led. So it's, it's certainly possible. Doesn't, Doesn't get, get much, much better, better than that. that. 
no, no it's really great to, to see students do that and, and, and take the leadership on it. Cool. All right. Um, we'll maybe come towards a, a conclusion here, but as we, as we think to the future, what kind of uh, things are important for educators to keep their eye on as they um, think about the future of education in Iowa? Yeah, so, you know, right now we're nearing the end of the, the legislative session. So it's, you know, April, April 17th, and this is the day the legislature was, was scheduled to adjourn, but they're, they're still going. And so my mind is still thinking about the, the pieces of legislation that were passed. And there were a few that I would highlight. You know, one thing that I think is, is critically important to think about is, is school safety. So right. how do we ensure schools are both welcoming places for students where they feel comfortable and can freely engage in their learning and also um, at the same time places where they're they're safe and secure and parents don't need to think twice about uh, you know their students being in a safe place when they drop them off in the morning or, or say goodbye uh, when they're leaving the breakfast table and so um, the legislature passed a, a piece of school safety legislation that requires uh, schools to have a plan in place in every school building and to practice it every year. Um, and so educators should, you know, be mindful that that's coming. If they haven't in the past regularly practiced their school emergency operation plans, that's going to be coming. And so I think that school safety piece is a real focus area for me. Um, I would also, and this will connect back to the, you know, the digital learning um, uh, conversation those around changes in assessment. So we know the legislature this year put uh, Iowa testing programs um, in place for uh, the future as the summative assessment for students. And, you know, the plan is next year, uh, it's going to be an entirely new assessment um, and it will largely be delivered online. Um, so while it will still be Iowa testing, um, and students have grown accustomed to over the last several years. Um, so I think those assessment changes on the horizon are important to be mindful of. And then the last thing I would say, you know, I, I'm just, again, seeing and thinking about so many um, high quality work-based learning opportunities for students to really engage in their communities, to engage with businesses. Um, I am incredibly excited about the Future Ready Iowa Act and the governor's executive order one which will create an online clearinghouse of work-based learning opportunities. So regardless of where students live in Iowa, they'll be able to go online and see, you know, Principal Financial wants a group of students to design a test app or some, some type of application. And more, you know, it's not just going to be open to students in the Des Moines Metro, um, but more, you know, across the state students will have greater access. So those are, are just a few things that I would highlight uh, in terms of exciting and important and helpful changes um, coming in the year ahead. Sure. I know I know our chief administrator here, Joe Crozier, he always talks to us about the importance of, um, you know, as, as an educator to be in touch with your, your local representatives and to help put your voice across to, to tell them those things. I, mean, I assume that's something you would, uh, you know, echo and, and say it does make a difference. Absolutely. I, I think, you know, um, legislators, you know, generally do want to hear from, from people out in the, the field, how changes impact them. Um, and, and so I think, you know, 
being in touch with with legislators is is always a, a good thing. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking with us. It was really interesting. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, thank you for the for the opportunity. Uh, this has been a, a, a great conversation and and uh, really enjoyed it. Thanks for your time, Ryan. All right, you bet. Take care. All right, so on to the last part of the show. It's Tech Nuggets. Let's do this. You can go first, Mindy. Oh, okay. Um, so I'm going to start with the Claro Scan Pen Reader. And this is maybe kind of a different app. It's actually $9.99. So you have to, you know, open up your pocketbooks a little bit. But what it will allow you to do is to scan in documents and then you highlight on that document something that you want read to you and it will read printed text to you from a scanned document. Yes, it does. Yeah. So really great for those students who, you know, maybe need some assistive technology um, with, you know, if you're handing out a PDF of some sort, students can scan that and make it a readable doc. Or if you only have like that paper worksheet version of something, yeah, then it can scan that paper worksheet and mm-hmm. have kids read it. Yeah. So $9.99. And I've seen, um, I saw somebody share it on Facebook, actually a friend of mine, which I, you know, even if you're a parent and think it would be great for your student at home, might be worth shelling out the 10 bucks. And what's interesting to me here is that down there in the notes you've got no internet connection required yeah because sometimes these sort of things will scan it send it to the cloud to process it and do the work and then send it back down and so you need an internet connection so Mm -hmm. yeah you could use this anywhere and technically i know it's kind of an interesting app yeah Mm -hmm. yep all right um I think the next one is going to be something that would maybe be a joint tech nugget here, I Mindy. Shared nuggets. This is a show this is first. A first. Yeah. yeah. So Mindy and I both happened to pick this same thing. We both happened to come across. Well, this sort of, sort of. We we both picked it. I put it on, and then you're like, "Oh, there's so much more," which I didn't know about. So. Let's give credit where credit's due. That's what we're going to go with, is it? <laughs> yeah, go ahead, though. All right, you so, go ahead. You go ahead. So I talked about this briefly in um, a recent uh, presentation I did at Iowa one Which I did not see, so I didn't steal your nugget. No, you okay. never come and see my presentations. <laughs> no. I did one on Chromebook creativity. <laughs> and uh, I was basically trying to encourage people to think about Chromebooks in a different way and less about what tools there are available, but more like mm-hmm. what you can do with it. What can you create with a Chromebook? And right. under my music um, sub-tab, I guess, was a uh, bunch yeah. of musical <laughs> apps like uh, the Chrome Music Lab. Right. So, um, and the one that I had, the actual, I don't know, I guess you call it an app, right? Within this little yeah, suite. I yeah, I guess so. So the one that I had chose and came across, I didn't even know all of these um, different things existed, except I came across SongMaker. And um, what I really liked about it is, first of all, I thought it was super user-friendly for even, like, our little, little kids. Um, And so what you do is you – it kind of gives you this grid, and then you tap inside it. Right? And each little square has a different sound. And then you hit the play button. 
-hmm. and it creates this little song for you. And so there's different instruments that you can use, um, a marimba. I don't know mm-hmm. what that is, which I think is maybe what I'm using. I think that's the one you're using. Okay. And then there's also electronic and blocks and kit. I don't know what all of those things are. Conga. Mm-hmm. Nice. Play little drums. Yeah. Um, so just kind of a nice way to get kids on um, and just creating something. So they could take that music and then um, save it and you can share the link. Um, I don't know. Can you download it? That I don't know. You can I don't download think it can. that you can put no. it somewhere else, but... Um, we're always talking about getting kids creating and allowing them, giving them tools that allow them to do so. Works great with Chromebooks. Yes, and what I told um, the audience uh, at, oh, my presentation right, at my presentation was that uh, <laughs> one of the features it has, which I thought was kind of interesting and I did not demonstrate, is that you can actually sing to what? the computer and it will recognize... Oh, I see Mike. It will recognize the tone of your voice and yeah. add that tone. It won't record your voice, oh, but okay. if you sing a high note, it'll put a high note in there. So instead of you tapping on the squares, you could actually just sing the song to it and it will tap it out there and you could change the instruments. And oh, That's maybe one to do off air. I won't demo that on air. Let's not do that one. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear that. Yeah, so that one is called, um, well, the suite itself is called Chrome Music Lab. Is that right? Yes, and there are about 13 different apps for that one. So the one that I just demoed, though, is called Songmaker. Correct. Yeah, so go play. I like it. Yeah. So our fearless leader, Stacy Beamer, um, I was like, Stacy, I need tech nuggets. I was kind of looking for some different things today. And she said, oh, have you looked at the Google Applied Digital Skills? Um and then she told me that she'd be very disappointed in me if I didn't share it. So I am doing that now, Stacy. Um, and that is um, these different lesson plans that are there for um, teachers to uh, give more authentic uses uses for digital skills. There's videos. There's lesson plans. Stu- there's like a student section and a teacher section. So you can kind of go in and um, – and I think I've said this before. I think teachers have a hard time – finding ways to have the conversation around digital citizenship and um, kind of ways to bring it into what they're doing. And so this might be a great place um, to kind of take a look. All right. And this is a new one to me too. Yeah. I And I don't know much about it. Like I said, she just shared it with me this morning. So, um, but she was super excited about it and thought it was a um, great thing to share out. So there you have it. All right. Speaking of great things to share out, oh boy. my last tech nugget is... Capwing. Okay. Which is K-A-P-W-I-N-G dot com, mm-hmm. which is an online video editor. And it's something I only learned about after my Chromebook presentation. Otherwise, I would probably throw wow. this one in there too, because um, it's a modern editor built in the web where you can um, edit videos, mm-hmm. GIFs, and images. They have a meme maker, the ability to add subtitles to videos. Um, a video montage maker, video collage. You can reverse video. So to upload a video clip and you want to play it in reverse for like visual effects. Hmm. You can loop video. You can resize video, trim video. They have a stop motion maker. What's the cost of that? That can't be free. All of this stuff is free to use. No way. But what's the small hitch? caveat. Yeah. yeah. Um, these guys, um, the, the, the about page there, Julia and Eric, have this their little company that they <laughs> Hi, use. Hi, Julia and Eric. 
<laughs> Capwing is free to use and always will be for uh, all our video editing tools. Okay. However, you will get a small video watermark um, oh. on your creation th- there. They charge $3 to remove the watermark from a single video, but you can upgrade. Forever? $3 forever? Yes. What? From a single video. Um, and then you can upgrade to the unlimited plan oh. for $10 a month and create as many videos as you like without a watermark. Oh, so if you want one video that doesn't have the watermark, you can just pay the $3 for that video? Correct. I see. So that's... I gotcha. Okay. That's how they keep the lights on. I'm becoming much more cynical. Well, yeah. Um, there are in, the FEQ, in the FEQ, though, it does say, I really can't afford to pay. Are there other options? Yes. And it says, well, do you run a website or a blog? If you write an article about Capwing, we'll upgrade you for free. Does this count? This could count. Oh, we need a tag What is them. it, Julian? What was his name? Julia and Eric. Julia and Eric. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to keep going. All right, sorry. Are you a teacher or student thinking about using Capwing in the classroom? Mm-hmm. Contact us and oh. we can discuss how we can help. Oh, it's like a little mom and pop shop. I like that. Yeah. Little personal experience. So there you go. So it's We called, need to look into this a little bit. This is a good one, Wiley. Yeah, I think it'd be a fun way to make... You want to make gifts, you want to make yeah. memes, you want to do I, some simple all of things, the things. videos. I mean, it's not a full-fledged, like, we video or anything like yeah. that. It's just, like, little tools that are designed to do specific things. Yeah. But um, huh. it's fun. Yeah. Have a play with it. Yeah. Okay. You might win. Maybe. That's a good one. We're keeping score. I'm always keeping score. <laughs> Well, that's all all we have time for uh, this week. Now that I am officially the winner, (laughs) I will give a big thanks to uh, Ryan Wise, the Director of Education, who was kind enough to take some time out of his day to to join us today. He's a busy guy. He is a busy guy. I'm sure he had better things to do, but he managed to squeeze us in somewhere. So that was nice. I'm going to give a shout out to Brent Warner, who's also been listening to the podcast. He has a podcast of his own. You can uh, find it's uh, edtech.tv. And uh, Ryan Aurelio was listening to us while washing the dishes, Mindy. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah. Come on over and do my dishes, too, will you please? There you go. Yeah. There's an opportunity. So I am at Team Carney on Twitter, and Jonathan is at Jonathan Wiley. Our team account is at DLGWAA, and you can use our hashtag EdTechTakeout to tag the show. If you prefer, you can send us an email to podcast at GWAA.org. So until next time. This has been the EdTech Takeout. We hope it hit the spot. For more information on today's episode, please visit dlgwaea.org slash podcast. You're just like the loudest typer in the world. It's just a Every click- time I hear you, that's exactly what I hear. Like you type on this keyboard. I think it's a, just a clicky keyboard.